This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. This is why Paul is writing this letter. There was an issue with some of the leaders teaching false doctrines. That's what he wrote back in chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul says this, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. As Pastor Eddie continues to give us a look at some of the prerequisites for deacons in the church, he also shows us that this list is good instruction for all of us who believe. Knowing the Word and having good doctrine is super important to develop as we grow and walk with the Lord. God doesn't expect us to get it all right away, but He is guiding us into a greater understanding, and we are responsible to follow that leading. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As he continues his message... Qualifications of Deacons. First Corinthians chapter six, verse twelve, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so we need to ask ourselves, and this is for all of us, not only for deacons and pastors, is it is not that could, it's not could I, the question is should I? Should I do this? And if you use this liberty to say, well, I don't care, then you probably are addicted to it. The same thing for coffee. That's right, coffee. I don't have coffee for two days, I get a headache. It tells me I'm addicted to it. I love coffee every morning. But if I say, I got to have it, I got to have it. And I see people post things on Facebook. It's like, <laughs> you know, their face before coffee. Just give me my cup. <laughs> Monday morning. <laughs> okay, you're obviously in the flesh. <laughs> the fourth requirement for deacon is not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. Now, no one actually says, you know what? When I graduate from high school, I'm going to go to college and see if I make it a career as a deacon. Okay? I'm going to pay the tens of thousands of dollars of tuition, and hopefully I get a six-figure job in the church as a deacon. Nobody. You're not gonna, if you want to make money, a deacon is not the way to do it, or a pastor for that matter, unless you want to go see the evangelist. Yeah, the TV evangelist is going to ask you to God. Deacon should not be greedy for money. In other words, he must not use his office as a means to make money. I've been a part of a church where they have allowed this pyramid scheme. It was sad. Years ago, it wasn't a Calvary job, but it was another church in the city. They allowed it. Pastor in the pulpit said, yeah, it's okay. We talked it with the elders. They didn't talk to all the elders. And yeah, because why? Everybody was tithing off the pyramid scheme bringing money, dirty money, illegal money in the house of God. 
They were using the directory just to catch people in. Hey, listen, yeah, we're going to trade. Listen, you want to make some money? How about this? And it was really sad. It divided the church. There was even death, divorce. People went bankrupt because of it. And if you remember back in Acts chapter 6, the problem of the daily distribution, you know, deacons were responsible in the distribution as in those days and even today. And oftentimes that includes the handling of money and as part of their official duties, uh, taking care of the, uh, uh, the, the tithes and offering. And so Paul gives this requirement because there can be a temptation for anyone. And we're glad that we have a system here. There's two people counting the tithe Every week, four teams, two every Sunday, the following Sunday, the following Sunday, not a couple, not Bunny and Clyde counting the tithe, but they pray. And there's, there's this observation in that. Because what happened, this is exactly what happened even Jesus with the disciples. You know, you remember Judas, right? <laughs> what does it say about Judas in John chapter 12, verse 6? It says, not that he, speaking of Judas, cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often, often stole some for himself. Here, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to get this in the near future, Lord willing. He says this, he said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, in verses 9 and 10, the next three requirements, 5, 6, and 7, are spiritual requirements of a deacon. He must be spiritual, as we saw in the book of Acts. He says in verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith, which are with a pure conscience. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now, Paul often used this word mystery in his writings. You'll find that word mystery quite often in Paul's writing. And Paul's not talking about mysterion, like something that's spooky or something that's unknown. But he's talking about a mystery that's already been revealed. And it's talking about the truth, the truth, the definite article, the truth, not a truth, is talking about Jesus Christ. What was concealed in the Old Testament, that was a mystery. For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were told of the promise. They were told of all these prophecies of the Messiah. That was a mystery for them, but now it's still known as the mystery, but they, we know because Jesus is here. He fulfilled all 300 of the Messianic prophecies. And because such truth was not revealed in the Old Testament, Jesus comes into the picture, and there is the truth. And we're going to see more of that in the last verse, in verse 16. So the deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. In other words, a deacon must be sound in doctrine, and his life must show it. Sound in doctrine. He must understand. He can't say, well, um, I know the four Gospels, Matthew, John. No. Can't be a novice must at least understand the church he's a part of and the doctrine. It's important for you to know the doctrine that we believe in. How many times people go into a church and not understand the doctrine or theology in which their church believes in? Some people, they find out too late. After they've already been a part of the fellowship, and then oh, they'll say, oh, that's nothing. Who cares? I'm happy here. It doesn't matter if they have the doctrine right or not. <laughs> 
It's important. That's the come when people want to serve here. We love people who want to serve. We need more sermons. But we always say, hey, you know, spend at least six to nine months with us. We get to know who we are, and we get to know who you are. You may not like us. You may not like Pastor Eddie. A lot of people don't like me for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> you saw the rumors, but half of it's true. Not just kidding. <laughs> but you don't know. You don't know. You want to know. This would be a church that I want to submit to that leadership I want to be a part of. What do they believe in? We always teach. That's why we teach verse by verse. Pastor John teaches. Teaches on a Friday. We have books that will let you know our distinctive, what we believe in. It's important to know doctrine. Without doctrine, that's the reason why people are always going in a cycle. They like catch the wave, come back to the shore. Catch the wave, come back to the shore. But they never set sail because they don't have doctrine. But you must know the truth and you must live it. There is a danger, and Paul already pointed that out in the beginning of his letter. There is a danger when leaders do not know doctrine when they don't know the mystery of the faith, and they're not teaching with a clear conscience. This is why Paul is writing this letter. There was an issue with some of the leaders teaching false doctrines. That's what he wrote back in chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul says this, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What happens is if you don't have sound doctrine, you get into all kinds of weird teachings where you actually are blaspheming the things of God. And so they should know at least a little bit of the doctrine. Deacon must know the, his Bible and live it out. The scripture, and again, that's for all Christians you are called to know the word of God. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are called to always be ready and give an answer. You are, you're, the Bible tells you as a Christian to be ready in and out of season. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes this, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready, always, to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. Somebody asks you, what is this thing that you believe in, Jesus, and you go to church? Be ready. Be ready. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. The more of the word you have in you, you'll always be ready. That's why it's important to read daily, study the word of God daily. Again, this applies to all of us. We must be ready to give an answer. However, is expected of a deacon. The qualification of deacon are very similar to that of a bishop, not as strict. The bishop, the pastor have 16. And one notable difference is that they're not, they don't have to be apt to teach. They don't have to be teachers. And the same thing, a pastor doesn't have to be a teacher, but a senior pastor has to. How would you teach the word? How would you feed the flock if you don't know how to teach? And that's a gift given by God. And so, sixth requirement of a deacon, verse 10, but let these also first be tested. They must be tested. Before they're placed in or ordained as a deacon in the house of God, they must first be tested, prove, examine closely. And that's what we do. We examine the lives of those that we call the deacons here. 
We looked at them before we made it. John and I at that time was um, another uh, deacon that we had. And he said, okay, let's just pray about this and give it about six months. And we just examined. That's what we did. We examined the leaders and see if they're already serving. They already have the qualifications. And so they have to be tested first. And in order to be tested, you, you can't be a new believer or a novice. You have to know the word. Again, verse 9, back in verse 9, it says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, must know the word of God. And they'll be tested in their character and the fruits of their spirit. Deacon has to be faithful in his growth in the word and in his walk with the Lord. That has to be tested and see how he serves and, and loves the people. So many people want the position to teach and speak, but they're terrible when it comes to people. Everybody loves the podium. You get attention. Get a mic. You want to share your wisdom. You want people to say, oh, that was great. But you know what's great is the person that's serving tables. Person serving tables. And so that's the qualification of a deacon. It's the same qualification as a pastor back in verse 6. He says, but let these also first be tested. And then he said, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. And that's the same for, again, the the pastor. Blameless doesn't mean perfect, doesn't mean sinless. That's impossible. There's no such person. Only Jesus Christ is without sin. Only Jesus is perfect. That is not what he's saying here. What he's saying is it means that, that there's no charge of serious wrong can be sustained against him as a person. He must be above reproach. There's no accusations made against him by people, whatever. And you know, there's a lot of people that do tend to, uh, you know, destroy people's character. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay, the eighth requirement of a deacon has to do with the family. That's part of the spiritual. He must be a spiritual leader at home. And we're going to look at verses, and that's in verse 11 and 12. So in verse 11, he says, likewise, their wives. That's right. Uh, He could do well, but how's his wife? And that's important. We're going to find out here. If a deacon has a wife, she too is required to have godly character. Godly character. Now, the reason why Paul um, puts this and includes this in the qualification for a deacon is quite often when the deacon is helping and serving the church, the wife is usually alongside him. There is no one closer to the deacon than his wife. And so sometimes the wives are there, they're watching him, they're listening to what goes on and why the, the husband is ministering, caring for the people, doing things. They hear all the good stuff. And they need to be careful. But also as a reflection of how he has his house in order. Is his marriage in order? Does he love his wife? There's communication with he and his wife. That people could see. Not a front. You know, people put a front, but sometimes one little thing falls right through, you know? <laughs> right, falls right through a crack, and you see, oh, okay, really, all this time, but they could see that little, so that little argument there. <laughs> so here are the four requirements. He addresses the wife. Number one, four things a deacon wife must have in order for her husband also to qualify. His wife must have these four things. She also must be reverent. She must be reverent. Verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent. 
The same Greek word is semnos, serious. You be serious in mind, serious in character. Again, not to look like, you know, be a joyless person, but to take the things of God seriously because we are dealing with God and his people. Second thing a deacon's wife must not do is be a slanderer, not slanderers. She's not to be a slanderer. Now, the Greek word for slander is diabolos. Diabolos, and it means to accuse falsely or to attack the reputation of another. That is the Greek word for slander. And of course, this applies to you and I, every single one of us, everyone that's a Christian, slandering is a sin, is a sin. This applies to all Christians. There should be absolutely no reason for a Christian to use his or her tongue the tongue that we use to glorify God and say our prayers to slander anybody, whether they are a believer or not. We shouldn't be people known for slandering people. In fact, that is the ninth commandment that Jesus gave back to Moses back in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it says, you shall not bear forth witness against your neighbor. Now, does the Greek word diabolos sound familiar? <laughs> It does. In Spanish, it's diablo, devil. In fact, that's what it means. That's what that Greek word means here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It means devil. That is because the Greek word is often used to describe Satan in translation. So, diabolos. For example, you remember when Jesus was tempted 40 days, when he was in 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, fasting, and the devil wanted to tempt him. You remember that time? Well, let's look at this verse. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, if you have the Greek lexicon in your home or in your app, look this up. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Greek word there, diabolos. The same word for slanderer. And that's why you and I should not be, I'm not going to say a diabolos, we shouldn't slander. The same Greek word. And this one thing that God truly hates is when people slander others. Why? Because it doesn't come from the Spirit of God. But it comes from Satan himself. It comes from Satan himself. And God will one day soon, very soon, will do away with Satan, who is the accuser, of God's people. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, and it says, here it is, all four names of the devil, just in case when someone reads the book of Revelation and gets to chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, John, the Holy Spirit inspired John to make sure you write all four names that Satan is known for. It says right here, number one, so the great dragon was cast out from heaven, the serpent of old in the garden, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world, he has cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Be careful in slandering. Saints, if you hear of anyone slandering especially in the body of Christ. You know, with love, with love, be careful when you bring correction, you got to be ready to take correction yourself. But you find someone slandering someone, 
you know, rebuke them in love and show them the word of God and correct them. Say, listen, we shouldn't be talking about anybody like that. And be sure if they talk about other people that they most likely might be talking about you that way. But this is why we're here. We're here to encourage one another. This is what the body of Christ does. This is what we do. And do it out of love. And so a deacon's wife is to be reverent. Deacon's wife is, to be, is not to be slander, a slanderer. A deacon's wife is to be temperate. Temperate. She must be telling. No, it's self-control. Again, this applies for all Christians. But is expected for a deacon's wife. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. All these things should, uh, these, all these fruits should be in the, the, the life of a believer. Self-control. You can't say, well, I couldn't control myself. Well, obviously, because you're in the flesh. If you're in the spirit, you'll be controlled. And you need to control yourself. That means you really need to spend time with the Lord. You know, people always, you know, use the excuse, well, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> I'm from Harlem. And you always say, you get the person out of the Bronx, but you can't get the Bronx out of the person. You know, only God can do that. Oh, it's... The Spanish man in me or the Latin, you know, Italian in me, you know, <laughs> you're a Christian. It's the Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, that should be in control, and you need to be in control. And so you should have to be self-controlled. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not, that's if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Fourth and finally, for the deacon's wife, she's to be faithful in all things. Read that again. She's to be faithful in all things. And what this is referring to is the things, faithful in all things that are seen and things that are not. Things that are seen and things that are not. Not only in church, but when you're not in church. Not only in front of people, but when you're alone. Now, back to the deacon, the ninth requirement for him in verse 12 says, let the deacon be the husband of one wife. And that is the same for the overseer, the bishop, the pastor. We saw in chapter 3, verse 2. A deacon must be the husband of one wife. And during this time in Ephesus, they had, there was a, a practice, a custom. You know, it's no different today as it was back in those days. They would have a wife home for the, for the children. They had a woman that they would walk around with to make themselves look like they're somebody, like an escort. And then they had another woman to, for pleasure. That was the practice during this time when Paul put pen to Pyrus, writing to Timothy in the, in the city of Ephesus. He had the temple Diana. It was a perverted cult. And that was pushed in this the practice. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of 1 Timothy with us here on Running the Race. There's so much more to learn from this New Testament letter, but our time has come to an end for today. Before we go, we'd like to invite you to visit our website to hear more messages from Pastor Eddie. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. 
If you're in a place of blessing due to this radio ministry and you'd like to know how you can partner with us, we'd gladly accept your support. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.